Yo, 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 what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the podcast called Getting to Know God. This is the place where we look to the scriptures and only the scriptures to know the one true living God of the Bible, letting him speak for himself in his word through the Psalms. I'm Brandon, also known as Pastor B-Side, and today we're going to look at the attributes of God as the Lord describes them in Psalm 7. The title of our study today is called Justly Rewarded. But real quick, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that if you've been digging on these studies or the things that I do as a ministry, please hit the like button, the share button, and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. I know it sounds silly, but it really helps make sure that this teaching can be more easily found for the folks who need it. The more action and activity that social media sees, the more likely it is to recommend it to other people. And at the end of it all, it really helps us bring glory to the Lord. Amen? So enough of that. Let's check these verses. Now, as I mentioned in the last two episodes, we're breaking down Psalm 7 into three parts. So this is the final part here. So let me reread the whole thing now so we can try and remember the proper context, and then we'll break down verses 10 through 17. So here's what it says. A meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord, my God, and you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces, while there is none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who is at peace with me or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the people shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. All right, so here's now our verses for today, starting in verse 10. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked bring forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His troubles shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down on his own crown. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Woo, so there you go. Now, the goodness of God is expressed both through the preservation of the righteous and also the destruction of the wicked. That's a hard dynamic to understand, but that's what the Bible teaches. In order to understand and appreciate the full value of God's goodness, we as God's people are called to consider, to understand, and appreciate God's righteous judgments. If not for the fulfillment of God's judgments, the people of God wouldn't be able to enjoy the full measure of goodness that comes from the eternally unconditional promises of God. It's the removal of corruption, decay, darkness, and evil of all kinds 
that is going to enable the true people of God to see the full glory of God's majesty in order to praise him for his supreme goodness and then worship him according to his will and ultimately fulfilling our purpose. So it's important to understand God's judgments. We can't just rejoice in the fact that God is going to destroy anyone who appears to be wicked. You know, at one time, all of God's people appeared to be wicked. Some of God's people still appear to be wicked. If not for God's mercy upon the wicked and his willingness to delay the promise of his judgments, many of God's people would have died condemned. You can put myself in that category. They would not have been saved by his grace. While we are all called to cherish the goodness of God's judgments, we're also called to understand the importance of his mercy and praise God for the perfect administration of his justice and compassion. In Psalm 7, David marveled over God's ability to do just that. David wrote Psalm 7 as a song to God, even though it was a plea for God's help concerning the persecution that he had to deal with. David was suffering persecution, possibly referring to the issues that stemmed from his run-ins with King Saul because he hated him long before. David's life was being threatened by a Benjaminite named Cush, and David was concerned, and rightly so. But he didn't let the hatred that the one man had for him spark hatred in his own heart. Psalm 7 is a plea for help, asking God to remove the threats made against his life, but David didn't seek God's help with revenge in his mind, provoked by the evil of his own flesh, because at the end of the day, we all still have that nagging influence within. David desired God to deal with the situation in a way that was consistent with all of the other demonstrations of God's righteousness, of course, documented in Scripture. David only wanted God to do the things that God had previously said he would do to the people who continue in unrighteousness. Still, as David went to the Lord for help, he did so with an understanding of God's character. David didn't simply desire the destruction of Cush because he hated Cush. He desired the destruction of all evil, and there's a difference there. David knew the mercy that God displays every day to all people, and so he wanted God's help while having a heart of compassion and understanding about the true operations of God's righteousness. Now, in Psalm 7, verses 10 through 17, God described the character and temperament of himself as the one true righteous judge. So here's how he did that, using the pen and hand of David to testify of himself. In verse 10, here's what David wrote. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. Now, the original Hebrew word for defense is actually a word most commonly translated into the English word shield. The idea deals with God being our protector. Even though we can't see God you know, physically with our eyes, he's not one that just sits back at a distance and is purely responsive to the issues that you know, interrupt the flow of our lives and plague us and give us headaches and all those things. God is a shield, which means he goes in front of us, right? A shield that's behind you isn't doing you any good. God, as a shield, goes before us. He's in the front lines of our trials. He is the one taking the brunt of the difficulty. Whether or not it seems that way to us doesn't really matter. This is what the Bible teaches, and this is what we need to remember. This is also why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, since God is the one that goes in front of us, right, he goes before us, taking most of the heat away from his people, our burdens aren't quite as heavy as they could be. Yeah, life is hard, 
but it could be a lot harder, if not for God, being our defense. Not to mention, we need to remember that God ultimately protects us from condemnation, right? That's the real issue. Our lives are hard, but if not for God's defense, we'd burn in hell at the end too while dealing with a life filled with difficulties. Bad situation. David received death threats from Cush, but those death threats could have been successful attacks that seriously, you know, jacked him up and killed him. And if God isn't a shield to David, David could have been at risk of Cush. And then if Cush got him, David would have gone to hell too. Not good. So notice that David understood the spiritual help that God provides, which Jesus later explained. God is not only seeking to provide help to our physical circumstances. God desires for his protection to be far more valuable, helping our souls in our time of need. David might have continued to experience threats from Cush well after he penned Psalm 7. We don't really know. However, the psalm was written as a song and concludes by saying that David wanted to praise the name of the God Most High. <laughs> so something happened, right? Verse 17 plainly says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Clearly, David's soul was assured, even though his difficulties might have remained. This is because God's focus is on the hearts of his people, and that's how he helps. Jesus promised to provide rest for the soul, which seems to be the benefit that provoked David to write the way that we see here. David knew that God protects and preserves those who have an upright heart. This refers to someone that lives straight, which is opposite of crookedness or perverseness. But the emphasis here is on the heart. God examines the hearts of people. Since this uprightness that we're talking about is rooted in the heart, it has to be from God and expressed by faith. Uprightness has to be from God because God alone is able to change the heart that is otherwise deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, based on the truth that we read in Jeremiah 17.10. Uprightness has to refer to faith because the psalm began by explaining that David trusted the Lord alone because of who he is. David was confident in his position despite the threats because he knew that God is faithful to protect those who trust him by faith in the revelations that he expresses to those who are called to be his servants. In fact, David went so far to say that it's in God's nature to respond this way. David's defense was of God, meaning that it's a byproduct of God's essence. Like God doesn't have to take any time or effort away from anything else he's doing in order to protect his people. He is, by nature, a protector or a shield, right? The one that goes before his people in order to equip them in his purposes, preserving the spiritual integrity of those that he calls to be his. God can't be anything except helpful in this way. And we have to remember that's true at all times, no matter our perspective of the circumstances. David explained that God is a just judge, and this is a critical thing that keeps all these things in our minds to make them true and right. This is still a reference to the favor that God provides to those who are his, those who are upright in heart, who trust in the trustworthiness of his own integrity. Again, look at what verse 11 says. It says, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So why can we be confident that God will be in front of us, taking on the brunt of pain that's leveraged against us, ensuring our burden is easy and light like Jesus promised? It's because God is just. He's fair. He's a good judge that does what's right at all times. Would it be fair to abuse a servant that is appointed to bring glory to the master through their service? 
Why would God appoint his servants to wrath? Why would God speak of his power to help only to dangle his glory in front of us as some unattainable thing that we can't touch or get benefit from? Why would God teach of his power if he's unwilling to equip his servants in his purposes through his power? See, David was called to be the king of Israel, and God swore that he would equip David to do that job in order that David's kingship would serve as a prophetic picture of the Messiah in some ways. Why would God sit on his hands while David suffered threats, ultimately threatening the integrity of God's own purposes and promises? He's not going to do that. Now, since God is in charge, he's the one true just judge and is able to render judgment at any time. He's able to examine the hearts of all people, find humbling faith in the hearts of some people, producing their salvation, while also finding unrepentant wickedness and pride, right, rebellion in the hearts of other people, sending them to their condemnation. Since David was previously assured by God and confirmed as God's servant, David was pretty confident that he would be preserved in spite of the threats that he faced, because that's what was required for God to be faithful to his own word. He would be able to persevere somehow, and God's promises to David would be fulfilled. At the same time, David acknowledged that the wicked are also able to benefit from God's mercy, just the same as those who are upright in heart. So remember, God is a just judge, and David also wrote that God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, this means that the wicked are always susceptible to God's judgments. Think about that. Every day the wicked wake up, God is prepared to destroy them and condemn them in his wrath. However, the wicked are also afforded the blessing that we all receive, time. Even though God is angry every day, he doesn't destroy all wicked people every day. God's mercies are definitely renewed every morning, ultimately enabling the wicked an opportunity to see their sin, acknowledge God's mercy, and seek his forgiveness and humble repentance, just like the rest of us. This is the same way that all of God's people are saved. No one was born upright in heart. This means that before we received faith from God to be saved by his grace, we lived as God's enemies. He was ready every day to express his anger against us in judgment. Yet, as with all of the wicked, God restrained that judgment until the time he opened our eyes to his truth and his salvation. Those who are crooked and even violent against God's people absolutely provoke God to anger, but that anger is laced with God's mercy every day they wake up with the chance for them to seek forgiveness in repentance. Everyone gets the mercy of God to this degree. David described the basis of God's righteous judgments in verses 12 through 16, and here's what it says again. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down on his own crown. David wrote about God's justice in this particular context in order to show that he wasn't only interested in the destruction of the wicked because he didn't get along with this guy named Cush. (laughs) 
David knew that God would destroy the wicked anyway, because God said he would, and is a just judge. Still, though, if Cush were to wake up another day, he was privileged to seek God's forgiveness just as much as David was when he sinned against God by committing adultery with Bathsheba, or when he was tempted by the devil himself to take the census that God prohibited. David knew the consequences for the wicked if they don't turn away from their sin in humble repentance. That's why David wrote like he did in Psalm 6, seeking to be restored to God on account of his own sin. He was afraid of the consequences of being separated from God, of being caught as a man without an upright heart. David knew it was possible that his enemies could turn from their sin against God, but was confident that his issues would be addressed one way or another. Cush could repent and be saved, and God could remove the threats against David that way because God is merciful to forgive as a just judge, and that's a good thing. In that case, the persecution's removed, David wins, hey, Cush wins. Now, if Cush did not repent, David was also assured he would be preserved from Cush's threats because of the other side of God's righteousness, his anger. And that's what's discussed in this section. Since God is angry with the wicked every day, he is always prepared to administrate his final judgment and render his final verdict against the guilty who reject his mercy and forgiveness. David acknowledged that God is always prepared with both sword and bow. So David wrote that these weapons are already drawn, right? Using these symbolic images to show the, the, the true dynamics of God's judgments. God doesn't have to like get up to go get these weapons or doesn't need to go look for them. God is always armed and loaded. <laughs> these are weapons intended to speak symbolically of God's authority to judge all people at all times in all places, really, at any time. If the wicked are near to God's people, God is also near to his people as their shield. So when the enemies of God's people show up, guess who they're going to find, right? So God is able to destroy them with a weapon intended for close proximity, the sword. Now, if the wicked try to flee from God, he's also equipped with a bow and is able to get them at a distance. Again, this is symbolic, but the point is, whether the wicked are near or far, wherever the wicked are, God's hand is able to reach them to ensure his justice against the people who rebel against him, his purposes, and the promises he made to his servants is fulfilled the way he declared. David validated the justice and fairness of God's judgments by saying that the wicked are to blame for their own destruction, not God. A lot of people want to blame God for this stuff because people are condemned and, oh, God sends people to hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's the wicked that work to bring their own destruction. According to the Bible, no one is a victim of circumstances. No one is a victim of the devil like he makes people do things. It was Cush himself who spent time plotting against David. It was Cush himself who spent effort harboring hate, jealousy, malice, and bitterness in his heart against David. It was Cush himself who wasted his breath speaking threats against David. No one forced Cush to spend all of his time and resources trying to destroy David like David testified. God didn't make Cush do any of those things against Cush's will. The Bible tells us when the devil directly influenced people in David's life to cause David suffering. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that here. Cush was depraved like all other people are. But instead of seeking God's mercy, instead of seeking God's forgiveness and transformation, he just went on living according to his evil nature, as if that was okay, and as if there wouldn't be any consequences. 
trying to fulfill these evil desires that he had that he came up with on his own. David wrote that the wicked labor, digging their own pits that they ultimately get buried in if they don't repent and believe in the truth of God's word. So they can't get mad when they eventually fall into those pits. If the wicked don't work so hard to dig such deep pits, they wouldn't have to worry about falling into them. God will preserve his people from the pits that wicked people try to dig for his people, right? And the depths of their suffering will be based on the labor that they put into the pit that they dig. This is fair. This is right. Their trouble will fall upon their own heads based on the burdens that they place against others. The wicked will be judged according to the extent of evil intended for God's people. It's like we say, they reap what they sow. This is why David wrote the psalm as a song. David says at the end of this psalm that he will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. But David had been singing all along. He knew God was sovereignly in control of all things at all times. And as the just judge, God would exercise his authority to do what was right and good in his time, in his ways. David didn't have anything to worry about, really. He didn't have to worry about the threats that were made against him because God is the protector, he's the shield, and the defender of those who are upright in heart. David didn't have to worry about the wrongful destruction of Cush because God is merciful, even towards those who anger him. David didn't have to worry about Cush getting away with his evil if he didn't repent because God is always prepared to judge and is just waiting for the right time to do so so that he's glorified through the timing and the manner of that judgment. God proves that he's able to fairly reward the upright in heart and the wicked without compromising his righteousness or the integrity of his promises through his judgments or the manner of them. It's for reasons like that, that even though we may struggle and have fears about circumstances that we're dealing with, that we should also sing praises to God, remembering who he is and that he can't change. This is who God is as our savior and deliverer. And remember, even though the text says that David was upright in heart and we feel like we fall short of that, so did David. Remember that he was considered upright in heart because of faith, not his works. If we believe in the testimony that we just heard about who God is, that faith is not equal to God's righteousness, but the Bible teaches that he is willing to consider it equal to his righteousness because of the quality of faith we have in his integrity, in his identity, in his character, in his nature. And that's what the Bible teaches about the one that we know as God. The better we know the details about God and the things that he's called like savior and deliverer, the better chance we have to remain encouraged when our faith gets tested with difficulties. And <laughs> best believe is going to get tested. So before I get out of here, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder to please take a second and make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you share this link to this podcast on your social media and make sure that you're letting people know about what's going on here. We need all the people we can to know the truth about God and the hope that he wants to give. Don't keep the people you know from hearing the truth and the hope that they may need because they may even need it right now. And also keep in mind that all the Bible teaching I do here is 100% listener supported. This means that I depend on listeners like you to pay the bills for the tools that make this stuff available to you, as well as pay for all the time that it takes to study the word and prepare to this degree. And it's a lot of work. If this podcast is helpful to you and you value this sort of teaching and dig on the beats and the way we do things here, please prayerfully consider sending a donation this way. We're a legit nonprofit. It's not like you just making me rich. We have a 501c3 operating through our parent ministry called Proper Knowledge Ministries. 
If you'd like to partner with the work of the gospel we're doing, you can visit www.pastorbside.com, like the flip side of a record, hit the support tab, and give any amount that you're able as the Lord leads. And believe me, every bit helps. And if the Lord would lead you, maybe even consider partnering monthly with us, making your gift recurring, kind of like tithing to a church, because church is founded on the two teaching of the Bible, right? Continuing in the Apostles' Doctrine. And that's exactly what we do here. Ministries like this need your support just like any other. For all the false teaching that's being shared out there, look, let's partner together and make a strong effort to get more good teaching out there. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the study. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>